morning, everybody. Happy Sunday, church friends and family. My name is Pete. I am one of the pastors here. And God loves you today, again, and every day. God's here to meet you in worship and in the Word because God wants to be in a relationship with you today and every day. So I'm going to ask you to reflect for a second. How are you coming today? Who here is coming full of faith, ready to meet God and love one another? Hands up. That's going to be some of us in the room. All right, who here is coming in the valley, coming through hard times that are testing your faith and your love for one another? Like a good number of us too, right? Right? As the family of God, we've been through an extended season along with everybody else that's left a whole lot of us exhausted or damaged and many even traumatized. At the same time, God's gifted us with brothers and sisters whose faith is stronger than ever. So we're super glad that you're here. I find myself somewhere in the middle, perhaps that's most of us, with some wonderful highs and some challenging lows. Some of the highs lately, we had a Come Holy Spirit conference that was such a joy to me, and I got to go to the National Vineyard Conference in Phoenix with 13 other people from the church, and that was super good for my soul. At the same time, we've got the ongoing COVID and vaccination and fragmentation of our nation challenges, and we've lost two people from River Heights in the last month and a half. And we have a lot of friends who are here today who've lost parents or friends uh, or family recently. And so the challenges of life have come up against our hope and our faith. And it is the enemy of God's desire that these challenges would overcome your faith for good. I find myself in need of help at times, the kind of help that comes from God through the Word and through the family of God. We're preaching in a series through the book of Philippians in the Bible, and in today's passage from Philippians, I see Paul encouraging us toward three activities that can help us safeguard our faith through the good times and the bad. And so we're going to read from Philippians 3, starting with verse 1 today. Paul writes, "'Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith.'" And so right there you get Paul's purpose for the whole passage today, that these words would safeguard our faith. And when Paul says he never gets tired of telling you these things, he's referring to the message throughout the entire passage for today. So today we're going to break that thing down into three ways that we're encouraged to safeguard our faith. The first one is rejoice in the Lord, whatever happens. For those of you who come full of faith today, woohoo! <laughs> Paul's encouraging you, go ahead and worship with your whole heart. Celebrate the joy of what God's doing in the world and in your world. For those of us in the valley, you may be wondering, how can Paul possibly say, rejoice whatever happens? Does he have no idea how hard life is for us? Right? Do you ever feel like that? Like you read the Bible and it's like you don't know. Right? Now think about what Paul's going through as he writes the letter we're reading today. He is nearing the end of his life. He's got no Christian fellowship or company. He's not free to see his friends. He's without a home. He's chained up in custody. And you might not know this in the first century. If you were in prison, they did not feed you. If someone came by with food, you got to eat. If not, you didn't. Paul's in such financial need, he's depending on the generosity of other people in order to even survive. Paul's writing this same passage with the wisdom that comes from suffering. His experience of suffering 
was deep and profound. He actually writes about some of the suffering he endured in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 29. Paul says, I have worked hard, been put in prison often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again five different times. The Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Imagine how you feel after the third one. The first one, you're like, that was weird. I'm going to tell my children about that one. The second time, you're like, whoa, that's familiar. And the third time, you're like, what is up with that God? Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. All that stuff happened before he ever wrote today's letter to the Philippians. And so I want to encourage you, don't dismiss his counsel to rejoice in all things as naive or impossible or coming from someone who doesn't know any better. His encouragement actually comes from knowing probably more intimately than any of us how to live a life of faith that makes it through the hardest times. He knows what grows our faith for the long haul. And what he's learned is that rejoicing Finding the joy of the Lord in the middle of a broken world forms us and sustains us and shapes us over time. In Philippians 4, which you'll hear preached in a couple weeks, Paul says again, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Repetition is how you emphasize what's important in Hebrew literature. And so how, friends, Can we do this? It's all well and the good when the Bible says something like rejoice in the Lord always, but like, how do you do that? How can we find gratitude in the middle of despair? Well, first off, Paul encourages us by letting us know there's a reward. Rejoicing will safeguard our faith. Paul says that when we rejoice all things, the language here says it will make our faith firm and certain and true. That's really strong language. If we want a stronger faith, learning to rejoice through all kinds of circumstances is one path to getting there. And remember, we are not rejoicing about our circumstances. Amen? We're rejoicing from within our circumstances. We're not celebrating COVID or the loss of our loved ones. What we do is we learn to look to God and to trust God even when the circumstances around us are grim. Because you are not defined by your circumstances. You are defined by the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. That's where we put our ultimate trust. That's what helps us get through shipwrecks or beatings or pandemics or loss. And so your circumstances today might include loneliness or bad health. You might be underemployed or unemployed. You may have broken family or friendships. None of these things define who you are. They don't determine your worth, 
and they do not determine your future. You are loved by the creator of the universe all the way down. God knows your soul. He knows all the things that have taken place inside of you, and he loves you. And so you're invited to rejoice in the face of everything that comes against you. 2020 into 2021, probably the worst year of my 51 years, give or take. We had the pandemic, the divisions in our nation and community, and then my family faced some brutally hard challenges. It was a heartbreaking and grievous year. And you know what helped me more than anything was actually being able to come to church here. I was given a three-month break, and I got to come sit where you're sitting and participate the way that you're participating. And being able to sing every week, every week I could come, we'd sing worship songs and even songs of rejoicing. And every week I left happier than when I came. And week after week, my faith endured through the challenges, in large part with your help. Thank you. I do not know what challenges you're facing today, but I know there's a whole bunch of them in this room. We read and pray for the connection cards. I want to encourage you. You can write anything in the world on those cards, and people have. We know you're going through hard times. That's the exact stuff that we want to pray about. That's the exact stuff that we have faith about, even when your faith may falter like mine has. Rejoicing with the people of God can be part of what carries you through and helps you make it to the finish line. Paul writes, I never get tired of telling you these things because this is the kind of counsel that benefits from repetition. How much good does it do when someone encourages you rejoice in all things and then walks away and never says it again, right? I don't know about you, but I'm slow. I need reminders. Hearing it again and again is good for our soul. And so remember, friends, Jesus Christ is risen. God is good. In the end, you're going to live in a world free of suffering and pain and death because God loves you now and forever. And so when all else fails, we still have something to rejoice in. Now we transition into verse 2, and the transition is kind of whiplash jarring. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised in order to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Now, this benefits from a little explanation. In Old Testament times, following God required circumcision for all males. There's Old Testament verses saying that circumcision is intended as a universal sign of being the people of God. And now hundreds of years later, Christ has come, and the people of God have something to work out. Do we still need to follow the Old Testament's holiness commands? Does the law, which Jesus Christ, he came to fulfill, still hold power over us? Paul gives a very clear no right here. He counsels the Philippians, just like he does through his entire letter to the Galatians, to avoid anyone who teaches you you have to do anything more than have faith in Jesus. He says not only do we not follow this law about circumcision, he says that what sets us apart is worship and reliance on Jesus Christ alone. 
And so the first way we safeguard our faith is to rejoice in the Lord. The second way is to rely on what Jesus Christ has done for us. God gives us all kinds of other things to help us walk with Jesus. We have the Bible, we have church, we have leaders and people called to serve us. We have encouragement from each other. But at its core, the center of our faith is the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And so do you put your faith in Christ or do you drift into confidence in your own effort? That's known as pride in the Bible. The idea that all we need is ourselves and we can do anything we need to. And Paul actually warns us against this kind of pride in verse 4. He says, Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees, who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. One thing you see as you read through the letters of Paul, is that he was passionate for doing the right thing. Some of you can identify with him. Now, in first service, that was most of the people because those folks get up early on Sunday to go to church. Second service, I don't know how many of you are my people, but some of you love to do the right thing. Would you stick your hand up if you love to do the right thing? Oh, we have a good number. Even in second service, you people are weird. I don't understand you at all. So here are some of the things that we see about Paul in this passage. First of all, he was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the rule-followingest of the rule-followers. They took the law the most seriously. The law had over 800 commands that you had to follow day to day. Jesus actually criticized the Pharisees. They would tithe their mint and cumin. You were supposed to give 10% to God. They would count out their mint and cumin seeds. They're this big can't even see them from up here. And then they would count them out and divide by 10 and give the 10% to God. And Jesus criticized them because he said, you're overlooking mercy while you follow the letter of the law. But as Paul demonstrates, once he starts to follow Jesus, people who care passionately about doing the right thing can be wonderful people of faith. Now, I identify most readily with rule breakers rather than rule followers. But let's give a shout out to the rule followers today. Woot! One of your people, Paul, followed Jesus so well and so passionately that the way he followed God continues to transform our lives today. And this is the key for those of you who have a passion for doing the right thing. It's turning your passion toward Jesus. It's taking your pride in yourself and your own effort and releasing it and receiving in its place faith in the work of Jesus Christ. Faith trusts that it's what Jesus has done that's enough for every one of us. And so, friends, give up pride in following the rules. That's what Paul did. Here in verse 7, you see more. I once thought that these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, 
I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And so Paul's discovery of salvation through faith in Jesus became his guiding star. He lived in an influential city. He was educated in one of the top universities of his age. He studied under Rabbi Gamaliel in the Hillel School. This is still famous stuff that people still study. In his culture, that's like saying he studied astrophysics under Stephen Hawking or basketball under Michael Jordan, whichever one you relate to better. Paul had a prestigious pedigree. And then Jesus came into his life and he left it all behind. He set aside his heritage. He gave up his place in the city. He stopped his work at the university. And he stopped depending on his obedience to the law, which was the center of his life. He left his old way far behind. Many of us in this room have an old way of life. We have ways of living that don't fit with the calling and the presence of Jesus Christ in our lives today. And maybe today God's calling you to leave an old way of life in your rearview mirror. Maybe today is the day God wants to set you free from an old way so that you can follow him in the new way. One of the first things God did when I became a Christian was set me free from drug addiction. That was my old way. And God gave me a new way. I really enjoyed drug addiction for one year, and then I hated it for two more years. And I couldn't stop. But God came in and set me free. And that pattern continues today. Over the summer, I took a retreat of silence at a Jesuit retreat center in DeMontreville. And one day during prayer, God spoke an invitation into my heart. God said, I'm inviting you to stop living a life deformed by the abuse of your childhood. And I was like, okay. I don't know why I didn't hear that for 51 years, but I can hear it finally, and it sounds good. And many times since then, I've noticed situations where I would normally have been defensive or angry because of my old way of fear and insecurity. And in this season... God's given me a new way where I can set aside that fear and insecurity and respond out of who God's made me today. Now, I still have plenty of old ways in my life. I still have ways that I'm looking to God to make me more like Jesus over time. But I am so grateful for the changes that God has made. You should be too. I would be a terrible pastor back in the day. I want you to reflect on your own life. Is there something in your life that God's inviting you to leave behind? Do you have an old way that jumps into mind when you consider this? That God might be inviting you even today, even now, to set aside. I want to lead us in a prayer toward that end. I invite you to just hold your hands open in your lap, clap, and lift that thing up to God. And let's see what God gives us in return. So God, I'm super grateful that you're still in the same business you were with Paul, of helping us give up our old ways to you. And I just lead us in a prayer right now, God, would you receive our old ways?
Would you receive the things that you're ready to take off of us? And as we hold our hands open to you, God, we're looking for you to bring us your ways. We're looking for you to pour the Holy Spirit out right now. Confirm in us, God, your invitation. Show us your ways. Teach us your ways, God. Send your power to give us your new way so that we can have pride in Christ. God bless you, friends. Amen. So the first way we safeguard our faith is rejoice in all things. The second way is rely on Christ Jesus. The third way is to consider, to meditate on the resurrection. Verse 10, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Now, at one time, Paul relied on his own goodness. He could rejoice in his accomplishments and his circumstances. And then Jesus came into Paul's life and messed it all up. And Paul was transformed forever. He became grounded in Christ, who is the first to experience eternal resurrection after death. That truth of resurrection was revealed to Paul on the road to Damascus when Jesus showed up to Paul in a vision, which you can't do while you're dead. After that, everything was different. The resurrection sets us free from our ultimate fears. I want you to listen, friends. The enemy is using fear against people in our culture, driving people against God, against each other, and against ourselves. And the resurrection sets us free from ultimate fear. You know what it's like to feel lonely? All of us do. And when we're lonely, we have that fear, I'm going to be alone forever. You know the feeling of depression. And when we're depressed, we have that fear, this is probably the best day of the rest of my life. I bet it gets worse from now on. We get angry and we have that fear, I can never have relationships that I don't break because of the anger that's inside of me. The resurrection looks those ultimate fears square in the eye and says, no way, no way is that how you're going to end up. Jesus Christ died to set us free from those fears, and Jesus Christ is raised from the dead to show us that that is not what's going to happen to you and to me. We are going to live forever free from loneliness, free from depression, free from anger that destroys relationships. We're going to live forever in a new body that works the way God intended for eternity. And I don't know about you, but I need a new body. <laughs> I got some issues. The resurrection is so central to Paul that in 1 Corinthians 15, he writes, if Christ has not been raised, all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would be lying about God, for we've said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. 
If the resurrection isn't real, we have nothing to hold on to. Fortunately, Jesus has been seen and encountered and witnessed to by the apostles and his friends and his family and a cloud of witness, witnesses and millions and billions of people since then. I would like you to take my next question seriously. How many of us have had an experience with the resurrected Jesus Christ that we can testify to in this room? Stick your hands up. Look at the hands around you. It's possible that half of these people are crazy, right? We live in troubled times. These people might be nuts, but no way are this many people crazy right now. That's real testimony that Jesus Christ is alive and continues to transform, continues to come to us, continues to set us free from all the fear that the enemy wants to throw our way. One way or another, if you will safeguard your faith, you're going to see the resurrected Jesus Christ and live forever in a much better place. That's the truth. I invite you to stand and the worship team can come back forward. We end our messages with three tips for putting the Word of God into practice as we have received the Word of God. Something to read, something to pray, and something to do. Tip number one this week is read Philippians 3. That's all the stuff we covered today, and it's next week's sermon too. So as you read Philippians 3, you get to benefit from the Word of God as we've received it, and I get to preach again next week, and you get to have a sneak peek at what's coming down the pike. And so take some time, read Philippians 3. Tip number two, pray a prayer of rejoicing. My encouragement to you is do it every day. The Bible says rejoice in the Lord always. One way to practice that is to actually do it. Pray a prayer of rejoicing. You can celebrate any good thing that God has done recently. And if you can't think of one, you can celebrate the amazing, the most good thing that God has done in giving us Jesus Christ. Tip number three is meditate on the resurrection. You may have severe ADHD like me, and the word meditate does not necessarily work for you. All that means here is to slow down and focus on the resurrection. Think about what it means that you are not going to die alone or sad or angry forever, that you're going to live in a world free of those things. Think about what that means for you. Think about the security of Christ. <coughs> we close our services, <coughs> excuse me, with worship and prayer because they're the most important things that we do when we gather on a Sunday. I'd like to lead us in prayer as we transition. Could we get folks from the prayer team to come up and stand over here? I see we got one. Yes, we have two. God bless you. Thank you. Ratton, Ben, and Lynn, we got three. Um, we felt like there were two things God might especially be inviting you to come receive prayer for today. Number one is you know you have some old ways that you want freedom from. And maybe like me, you haven't been able to find that freedom. There's actually a supernatural power in God to help us be free. That's one of the things Jesus Christ came to do is freedom for the oppressed. And so I invite you to come receive prayer if that's something God's really laying on your heart right now. The second one is we had a sense that there were people experiencing stolen joy. 
Like you look at people who have joy and you feel envious and you wonder why isn't that for me? Like maybe even when your circumstances are good, it just doesn't reach down into your heart. And we know it's the enemy who's a thief, who comes to steal and destroy. And we want to pray for you. We want to see you receive the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is love and joy and peace and patience and all kinds of other good things. And so you can come get prayer for anything in the world. These people have been trained to pray nice things for you. And God does stuff through their prayers. I came up and got prayer during first service, and I said, I have a sprained wrist and tennis elbow, and I'm not sleeping very well. And the person praying for me was like, I'm just going to pray something else, and proceeded to like, wow, I cried. It's nice. You don't have to cry. I mean, they'll pray what they, I mean, it was really nice. I just encourage you to get prayer as God leads. I'll start by leading us in prayer. You know, God, we're so grateful for what you've done. And we just want to rejoice in what we can. All of us can rejoice in Christ, Lord. All of us can rejoice that you're alive, that you love us, that you give us the gift of one another and of your very self today. Thank you. Many of us have circumstances to rejoice in, God. Help us to find those good things. Help us to rejoice in the good and in the hard times. Jesus, we want to rely on you. We want to connect to your resurrection. We want to be set free from ultimate fears. We want to live in the power and the presence and the love of your spirit right here in this world and for all eternity. And so I pray, God, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on your people right now. I pray that you would wash over your kids again today, God would liberate us and set us free and let us know your love and your goodness. <coughs> Be with us as we worship you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you.